0: I am asked all the time whether or not people who are in corporate have a personal brand. Today, I have a special guest with me who is going to answer that question for you. Wendy Weiner is an attorney turned entrepreneur who found her passion in writing and helping others craft powerful personal brands through telling their career and professional stories. She practiced for 12 years and served as a college writing professor for seven years prior to focusing on being a writer full-time. Her legal background includes working in big law, mid-sized firms, and in-house for a Fortune 200 company. She holds six resume writing, career coaching management, and personal branding certifications. And she's the country's only nationally certified resume writer who is also an attorney. She has been featured in almost 75 major media outlets and has received more than 10 honors and awards in personal branding, writing, and content strategy. She is the founder of The Writing Guru, which has served thousands of clients in more than 30 industries, 40 states, and multiple countries in Europe, South America, and India. I am so excited to share Wendy's knowledge with you. To help you get an idea of how to spruce up your LinkedIn profile. Are you ready for this episode? I know I am. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase podcast. I'm your host, Robin Graham, a personal branding expert and photographer. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about personal branding, personal development and life overall in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build a business from the ground up when I was terrified to put myself out into the world. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a personal brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive in to a new episode. Good morning, Wendy, and welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I'm thrilled that you're here. We connected on Instagram, and we just hit it off, really. We have a lot of similarities in terms of being in our second phase, as well as our passion for helping other people and connecting with other people. And I just can't wait for all of my listeners to hear your story and learn more about you and what you're doing.
1: Awesome. I'm super excited to be here and I can't wait to dive in.
0: Oh, good, good, good. Um, So will you tell us just a little bit about yourself before we dive into my interview questions?
1: Sure. So I am actually an attorney turned career expert. I work primarily with other attorneys, mostly corporate counsels, general counsels, and chief legal officers, as well as business, sales, marketing executives and the C suite. So anything from CEO to um, chief strategy officer to a CFO or even a chief technology officer. And I really help them build both their career brand and their personal brand, everything from writing their executive resume to their LinkedIn profile, to their executive bio, and also teaching them how to navigate building that brand on LinkedIn, whether it's networking, job searching, anything that will help them to advance their online digital presence.
0: Oh gosh, I love this. I love this. And I can't wait to dive into this a little deeper because I get these questions all the time as to whether or not people that work for a corporation or you know, are in corporate, whether or not they need a personal brand. So I'm super excited about this whole conversation. So um, tell me a couple of tips, if you will, that you give exec- executives to unleash their digital presence. I know that's a big term for you or a big thing that you do. And it's something that the average person I don't think understands.
1: Right. So let me kind of give you a little bit of background, like the typical client that comes to me. Most of my clients have been in their niche or role for anywhere from, let's say, seven to 10 plus years in the sense of like not having to have had to engage in a job search. So now all of a sudden they go out there and they realize, hey, I'm not getting any hits on the resume that I've been using from the 90s or early 2000 era, what's going on? And then all of a sudden they realize that they need to Have an optimized LinkedIn profile. And a lot of them, they will have a LinkedIn profile, but it's very skeletal, very bare bones. And then when they realize that their resume is not getting hits, they come to me or they are being contacted by recruiters, but then nothing happens. So they realize that now. The world has changed from a resume being just a summary of your work history to now becoming this strategic marketing document that has to really sell your value and communicate it in a way that truly gets your name across to the human reader because you know more than 80 percent of resumes today are read through an online system called an applicant tracking software system and what that does is it scans the resume for a specific number of keywords and by the time it gets to the human reader you know it's very small chance four to eight percent when you search through a job search board to get that response. So you're forced to go out there and get noticed on LinkedIn and really build a network of connectivity on the platform that's going to get you seen, going to keep you visible and allow you to build upon those connections for the next career opportunity.
0: Wow. So it's super important.
1: Super important.
0: So the one thing that you've said that, that I really love, and it really resonates with me is that one of your I guess best features, best skills is that you really get to know your clients and their unique value proposition. And I think it's so important when people are working with someone, especially to get their name out there and to make them recognizable in the whatever community they're in professionally, that to, un- to be able to understand that value proposition. So I would love for you to touch just a little bit on how you, how you do that. I think that you and I are very similar in that respect that for me, it's very important to get to know my clients before I work with them. And then while I'm working with them to build that relationship, because it helps them know me and like me and trust me more, but they you, un- everyone's unique value proposition has to fall back on the no like, and trust factor.
1: I agree. And a big facet of personal branding and executive resume writing, which are sort of conjoined, right, is learning about your client, allowing them to introspectively do a deep dive into their career background. You know, what unique value do they bring to an organization in each role that they've held? And that's something that when I give a what I call my questionnaire, which is really a deep dive personal inventory into their career background beyond leadership responsibilities and business operations functions and key projects and key results. I ask them, you know, what are they passionate about? What do they feel that their top three areas of expertise are? What unique value have they brought into each position? And the average person is not thinking about that day to day. They're just doing basic functions of their job. And a lot of these clients that I'm working with are earners anywhere from a quarter million dollars to over $3 million a year. So super high figure, seven figure executives. And the part that they struggle with the most is really taking the time to think about who they are, what value they bring, and who is their target audience. And so when they start to do this deep dive questionnaire, we then do an intake call, which is more of a branding strategy session, And I say, if you're on an interview and someone asks, what are your top three best skills? What are you going to say? How would you describe yourself? You know, what is that unique value that you want to emphasize to a prospective employer or to someone that comes across you online? Because those things are the major selling points and the key facets of both your personality and your brand. So that's why it's called your personal brand.
0: I love that. And it's it's so true. It's all, it all comes from internally. Like you can't have a personal brand and you can't build recognizability without infusing who you are and what your like you said, your values are. I like to right. refer to it as, you know, my, my brand equation, I call it, with the values, the visions and the passions. And all of those things have to come through in order for people to be able to to really trust that you are an expert in what you do and that your personality is going to coincide with their organization.
1: Right. I mean, think about Jeff Bezos always says your personal brand is what people say about you when you're outside of the room. And so what I say to clients and prospects, I speak to on a daily basis is that your job is what you do, but your personal brand is who you are, what you want to be known for. And you develop your personal brand around an elevator pitch. You know, you go to a networking event, you go to, you're standing in line at Starbucks and someone asks, what do you do? You want to be able to answer that quickly and efficiently. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately when someone comes to your LinkedIn profile, they need to know what you do, what you're an expert at and what value are you bringing to the table for the people that follow you online.
0: That's fantastic. I I love it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your first phase because I know you're now in your second phase. So I (laughs) want to hear, I want to hear like where you started and why you transitioned.
1: Sure. So I went to Florida State University for undergrad. I majored actually initially in psychology. I always wanted to be a child psychologist. I love children. And I was a summer camp counselor most of my teenage years. And it was probably about going into my junior year of college when I realized I'm not really sure I want to do this anymore. I've always loved to write. Writing is really what I'm passionate about. It's what I'm good at. And I was, you know, a paid note taker in college. A lot of people don't know that about me, but I worked for a company that paid you to go to class and take notes. And so I was just always really good at writing stuff down, analyzing critical thinking. And I decided to change my major to English because I'm super creative, I'm actually the only left-handed person in my family, which is kind of an interesting fact about me. And I'm super creative, very right-brained. And it came time to making a decision of what I wanted to do after college. And so for me, it just seemed logical to go to law school because I grew up watching L.A. Law. (laughs) Um, I glorified that show. I was on the (laughs) high school debate team and I was always doing public speaking, which is something that I was really passionate about and loved. And law school just seemed like the next logical place for me. I really wanted to be a litigation attorney. So, you know, my early 20s, 22, I start law school and my first year of law school is extremely rough. Like I don't fit that persona of a litigation attorney, right? I'm soft and I'm warm and I'm fuzzy and I'm creative, but I powered through and I realized what I was really good at was, you know, again, the research and writing, I got the highest grades in all of those classes. I mean, it was really sort of meant to be right. There were all these facets of my life that always led back to writing. Even when I was a young child, my mom kept binders of poems and writing contests that I would enter and I'd always place in the finals. So there was that writing and speaking background that just kind of followed me throughout all of this. And you know a couple of years into practicing law i just i was never happy i was always looking for a higher paying job a place that didn't work me to death um place that had less billable hours and then i had my first taste of corporate counsel life so i started out in big law which if you start out in big law it really burns you out then i went to mid-sized firms and I just found that working as a lawyer, you're always a slave to the billable hours, especially if you're working in a law firm atmosphere. And I had my first taste of in-house counsel life in 2009. I was hired as an assistant general counsel to uh, serve as the right arm to a general counsel at a major insurance company. And it was a smaller scale insurance, company, not a fortune 100 or 200 like I later worked for. And it was six and a half months of hard work and really taking on projects I never thought I'd be able to handle as a law firm attorney. And then unfortunately the company closed down, they were liquidated by the Florida Department of Insurance and I was forced to go back to law firm life and then I eventually made the pivot back into corporate counsel life. And I ended my career at a Fortune 200 insurance company And I was really good at what I did. I, you know, I was the brief writer at every firm and company I worked for. And I also was really good in the courtroom, but the common denominator was, it just wasn't me being a lawyer. Just I'm great at it, but I didn't feel fulfilled. And that is probably the biggest takeaway that I say to clients all the time is right. I have to be authentic. I have to talk the talk as much as I walk the walk. And the reality is if you have great skills and talent, but it doesn't match what you really enjoy doing. You're going to be unfulfilled, which is going to lead to a lot of career unhappiness. So for me, I had to make the decision and it was in 2010 when I came to my parents and I said, you know, I feel that I'm trapped in this profession. Like I've got all these student loans that I'm going to have to eventually pay off. I'm in thousands of dollars of credit card debt because I'm making money, but I'm overspending. And i feel feel trapped. Like the walls were closing in on me and I didn't know what to do. And I said, my dream's always been to be a writer. I wanted to be like Carrie Bradshaw, move to New York City and write for a magazine or a publication. And so my mom said, well, you can do that. You can do it part-time. And then maybe when you get married and you have children, you don't have to work as hard. You know, my mom had it all planned out for me, but that really wasn't my pathway because I actually, I'm 42 now, but I didn't get married till I was 38 years old. So, I mean, we're talking 2010 which is a decade ago in my early 30s so that was not a logical pathway at that point point. and so my mom said you know you've always been the writing guru why don't we help you start a business you could do it part-time doing the edits for the college admissions essays and my parents were educators so they were able to get me in the door to speak at high schools and middle schools because I, you know, was really good at essay writing and I taught middle school English for a while and a little bit of high school English and I was teaching college writing classes. So there was a lot of parallels to that. And I started my business in 2010, but I didn't get serious about it until about 2013, when I actually learned that there was this entire industry out there for resume writing. Like you could literally get certified as a resume writer, as a career coach. And I realized that I could just take this business to the next level, and that's ultimately what happened. I went out, I got certified. I have six certifications in resume writing and career coaching, and I was working 60 hours a week as a lawyer, 30 plus hours a week at night, on the weekends, doing the writing, getting certified, starting to break into media outlets, starting to build a writing portfolio now today. I've won 10 plus honors and awards. I'm featured and published in almost 75 media outlets. I had a column for HuffPost. I have a current column for Thrive Global, but these are all things that they're all moving parts. They didn't just happen overnight. It's been a work in progress for a decade because I started the business in 2010. Now in 2013 is when I really started pushing and we're in 2020. So we're talking seven years in the making.
0: Wow. So I think it's really, you said so many things that are important. And I want to kind of focus on a little bit. One was that you weren't being fueled. And when you said you may have these skill sets and you may be really good at something, but if it's not fueling you, you're never going to find happiness.
1: It's true. And here's the thing is that I would hear from bosses that I worked for all the time, oh, you're the secret secret weapon. You're the one that we go to when we need someone to write a fancy appellate brief or summary judgment motion. You're the person that can go to court. And remember, I, I, at the, and I didn't explain this in the beginning, but I was doing insurance defense litigation and insurance coverage, as well as commercial litigation. And part of what I did was a very specialized area which was fraud so i was catching insured who had basically committed fraud to get insurance proceeds they set their kitchens on fire or they would drop a bottle on the floor and have a chip tile so they would try to get insurance money to get them out of debt and so i was really talented at asking the right questions in a deposition or sworn statement, which is called an examination under oath in Florida. And I would bust them in a lie and the case would be over. The plaintiff would have to dismiss the case. So I would save the insurance companies that I was representing thousands of dollars in litigation fees or potential litigation fees um, by doing this. And so it was hard because you're, you're being told you're really good at something, but then you're going home at night and you're just feeling miserable and it's suffocating. That is Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. I know that there's a lot of people who are lawyers and feel that way, which was the impetus to me writing an article in the Huffington post back in 2015, it was either 2015 or 2016. It's called how I used my law degree to get out of law. And I still get hits on that article every day because there are plenty of unhappy, listen, there's plenty of unhappy professionals in every industry. But law has one of the highest rates of depression and anxiety because of the pressures of the profession.
0: Mm-hmm. I've heard that, and I do a lot of headshots for law firms, and it's interesting to me how. So my son is getting ready to go to college, and people, you know, always ask about my kids and stuff, and they'll say, well, "What do they want to do?" And I said, "Well, my my one, my middle one wants to be a like go into sports management and then go to law school." And so many people have said, "Oh." do not let him go to law school. Like, don't let him go to law school. It's an awful profession. And I've always wondered why. (laughs) Like, it seems, I don't know. I used, you know, when I got out of pharmacy school, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to law school. But then that just wasn't the path I was meant to be on. I did other things instead. And, you know, here I am today. And had I gone to law school, who knows where I would be. But um, it, it just, it fascinates me because it always seems, and TV, I think too, makes it very glamorous.
1: Right, it's definitely not glamorous. And the one thing that I would say to people is if you're thinking about law school, you have to consider what you want to use your law degree for and what you want to do with it. Now, you're mentioning your son wants to go into sports management and potentially law. Now, my business lawyer, Darren Heitner, who's an amazing attorney, he was a sports agent and he does business law and he does a lot of sports law. He represents a lot of athletes, um, does a lot of trademark work for them as well. So, I mean, there's areas to pivot in and be, and he's a happy lawyer. My brother is a prosecutor and handles DUI cases, severe bodily injury, as well as death. Loves what he does. He's in trial almost every month. For me, I did litigation. I did appellate work, but it just, in the end, I found that my true calling was being a writer. So I think that you have to go with what is calling your attention. The question is, is can you build a business around it and can you monetize it? Because there's a lot of people that say, Hey, I really want to work for myself. I want to be my own boss, but they don't have the discipline or the organizational infrastructure to build some type of monetization funnel. Um, in a business model and survive. Because the other thing is like, you can build that monetization where you can say, Hey, I'm going to charge for career coaching. I'm going to charge for resume writing or life coaching, but how are you going to get the clients? And that's like a very big thing that people often don't think about is where your clients coming from. Um, And one question that I get asked a lot is like, how did you know, when did you know it was the right time? For me it was, I was getting consistent people signing up to work with me and I knew that I would be able to sustain that. I had a consistent uh, lead generation, a uh, pipeline of clients waiting to work with me and I still have that. I, get, I have waiting lists every time um, the new year rolls around. So if you don't have that funnel, it's really hard to sustain yourself as an entrepreneur and as a business owner.
0: Would you like to learn more about personal branding? Maybe you are ready to take your existing brand to the next level. The Brand Insider Mastermind will delve into every aspect of personal branding and help you create or up level your personal brand, help your business soar to new heights. There will be an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to ask questions, an accountability partnership, an opportunity to grow your network and referral source and much more. We will meet bi-weekly for one and a half hour sessions. During each session, a personal branding theme will be presented and discussed. Each individual will have time to ask questions and report on their specific tasks or action items. Goals and tasks will be set for the next two week period. And the Brand Insider Mastermind will be a place of accountability and connection with no judgment, only kindness and accessibility to personal and business development. The first session will run from april 1st to june 17th a total of 12 weeks each mastermind participant will receive a one-on-one consultation at the end of the 12-week session this is a value of three hundred dollars but will be included in the price of the mastermind for the introductory mastermind session the themes that we will discuss and that will be taught during the mastermind sessions include the five C's of personal branding, the five W's of personal branding, the five components of a personal brand, how to identify your niche and ideal audience, content creation and differentiation, blogging, email marketing, networking, individual website and social media profile reviews and recommendations from me, participant led discussions based on questions and needs. The price for this is only 397. dollars is a one-time, super low introductory price. Space is limited to only 12 participants to guarantee one-on-one attention. In addition to everything else mentioned, you will have access to my private Brand Insider Facebook group for ongoing access to the Mastermind for learning, questions, and accountability. I sure hope to see you in the brand insider mastermind in spring of 2020. To access the information to learn more or to register, go to my website ww.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop. You know, Wendy, that leads me to one thing that we talked about a little bit, well, you mentioned in your questionnaire is that you work a lot of long hours, but you've said it never feels like work because you love what you do. And I think there is this misconception that being an entrepreneur gives you all this freedom. And there are a lot of people out on social media that say, Oh, do you want the life of freedom? I can coach you to that. But the reality is if you were in business for yourself and you're a solopreneur, you have to do everything. And it's, it's not easy
1: it's not and i mean even last night i was saying to my husband that this January uh, in 2020 has been extremely stressful for me because it's like I wear so many different hats on a daily basis, right? I'm a wife. I have a an older dog. My dog, my shih tzu is almost 15 years old. So he requires a lot more care. And I have a really high touch process for my clients where I'm doing a lot of coaching calls in addition to the writing time. And last night was a perfect example. I got up at 530 in the morning. I was at my desk before 6am and I really did not stopped working yesterday until past seven 30, had dinner with my husband, took care of the dog, you know, took a shower, got done. And then I was working until midnight last night from like nine thirty until past midnight, because I want to get my stuff done for my clients. So there are some people that have better boundaries. They'll only work In their business nine to five but part of my high touch service because i work one-on-one with the clients and i don't outsource my work is i have to work longer hours now is that the norm every day no in the beginning years of my business i was definitely working 100 plus hours a week Um, i don't work that level anymore in fact last weekend was my husband's birthday and he said to me last night you know i noticed that you didn't work at all last weekend i said well it was your birthday weekend. i wanted to take off the weekend but in order to get to that level, sometimes I have to put in an extra couple of hours of work at night or structure my client contact and my interactions with my workload around that. And that's the difference is like when you work a nine to five job with set hours, you build your life around those hours. But when you're a business owner, you know, you could either work in your business or your business works you. For me, it's always a balance. Um, you know, if I don't work out in the morning and get on my Peloton bike, it usually doesn't get done that day. Like yesterday, I was really adamant about doing my workout in the very early morning. You've seen my Instagram stories; mm-hmm. I talked about, you know, got done with my Peloton workout, and I was really excited and I felt accomplished because by seven o'clock yesterday, there would have been no way I would have gone on my bike.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. It's the exercise has to come first because if it otherwise. You just never know how many interruptions are gonna come during the day and a client needs something right away or you just never know what phone call could come in to change the course of what you had planned for your agenda.
1: Very true. And that's the other thing is, I'm really big on, I'm type A in my business. I have a calendar, I try to abide by it, but you know what, sometimes clients need to move appointments around or something falls onto my lap that day where someone says, hey, I really need a consult with you today or a client needs to shift stuff around. So like, even though I have my day planned out, it doesn't always work that way.
0: Yeah, and exactly. there's
1: a lot of versatility and adaptability in a business.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. So I think, you know, it's a really beautiful gift to be able to do what you want and to be working and working long hours and not even feel like it's work because you love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I think there is that we have to recognize that it is a little bit more challenging at times than just going to work for someone else and having, you know, someone guiding you on what you need to do or how you need to do it and what projects you're working on and things like that, because you, you do have to structure a little bit differently. Um, you
1: do. And you have to be a really self-motivated Person, so a lot of times people think like, "Oh, you work from, you have a home-based office, you can set up your hours. If you only wanted to work nine to twelve and three to five, sure, I could do that. But then the work piles up because I have no one else doing it for me. So you have to be super structured and super disciplined to be able to get the work done. It takes a special kind of person with very specific drive." to get that stuff done. You know, when I worked as a lawyer, if something didn't get done at the end of the day and it wasn't an emergency, when I say emergency, meaning like it had to be filed pursuant to court order, I'd leave it for the next day. But now in my business, extra time that I have, I will use that to do something for my business, whether it's writing a social media post, scheduling a social media post, responding to stuff on social media, doing something additional in my business. So that alleviates my workload for the next day, because each day is different. There's always fires coming up in business that you have to take on, have to do. So I think that there's a lot of moving parts to having a business that people often don't think about when they're deciding to go into business for themselves.
0: So the important message here, I think is that it's, it's a really incredible opportunity and it's a great thing to do, but just do your homework first so that when you get into these situations, you're prepared and you're not having unrealistic expectations of mm-hmm. what being an entrepreneur is going to be like.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Very, very, very true.
0: Yeah. But it, it shouldn't be something that holds you back from following your passion either.
1: Yeah. It, the first couple of years in a business are the most challenging. It's where you don't feel like you're getting a lot of profit, a lot of free time. For me, it was a really big transition. Before I left the practice of law, I was running marathons and half marathons and going to CrossFit. And I just suddenly didn't have the time for it anymore. I had to make a choice. And that choice was for me to actually focus on my business more. And I packed on 35 pounds, which was a lot of weight. So five foot two. So I'm five foot one really. So I'm super (laughs) short. And, you know, I struggle with health problems. I have hypothyroidism and I really struggle a lot with my weight in general. And so now it's a matter of fitting that time in to take care of myself. You know, I call it self care or entrepreneur life because it really is a struggle to balance. You know, it's easy when you work for someone else to put the work on the back burner, but when you're working for yourself and it's you know, your butt on the line and the client being upset. If you don't get stuff done in an expedited fashion, I'm very much an over deliverer. So I like to beat the clock and beat the deadline for the client because I really, um, I'm a person of service. I like to make my clients happy and I'll go above and beyond to make them happy because that's what leads me to get more business anyways. But that's just my, the nature of who I am anyways.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think we're so similar in that respect. Um, So when you transitioned from phase one to phase two to become an entrepreneur, you left a, a high power career, a high paying career. What was the perception you got from other people?
1: Oh, so my parents are my biggest supporters, but also my biggest critics. So it's funny. My parents felt that I should have gone to work for the government as an attorney, like my brother, because it was stable. You know, you didn't have to, you got automatically got a pension. You didn't have to worry about getting laid off or anything like that, a changing economy. You had stability if you worked for the government. And I remember telling them that I wanted to be a professional writer. And at the time it seemed so ridiculous. Like, you know, you work for a fortune 200 company as a corporate counsel. You're clearing nearly almost $150,000 a year with all of the benefits included company car uh, you know the gas paid for cuz I had a gas credit card all of these amazing you know life insurance health insurance great benefits and also more stability in terms of like that 9 to 6 type of hours and so it was really hard to walk away from it. I think the thing that scared me the most the day that I left my legal career was I didn't have a car because I had the company car for, you know, two plus years. So I remember having to go and and decide to get to lease a car. And, you know, in past years, I always wanted that luxury car. I drove luxury cars and I realized like, no, you need to live like an entrepreneur. Now you cannot live like a lawyer anymore because you don't there, you don't know if you're going to clear six figures this year and i remember leasing a toyota camry and thinking it was it was just economical it made sense and for the first couple of years of my business i paid off all of my credit card debt. So whatever extra money I had, rather than investing in myself and buying a you know, fancy pair of Louis Vuittons or a Louis Vuitton purse, for me, the most important thing was to, to be debt-free. So I actually paid off all of my credit card debt. I really lived frugally. like I pretend even if I'm having a great month, that money in my mind doesn't really exist because what if the economy turns? What if a clients you know clients stop coming to me? I have money to live off of. I watched a lot of Susie Orman growing up, um, and I, especially in my 20s and 30s, and she would always talk about this rainy day fund, and I never had it. I was always living check to check and worrying about having enough money to cover my rent. Those are things that I haven't thought about in five plus years, and it feels. Really good to have financial security and financial independence, but with that came a lot of sacrifice. You know, it's not going and shopping. I don't even shop anymore. I barely shop. I mean, if I order stuff, it's usually like on Amazon, or if I go clothes shopping, it's Old Navy because I just live a totally different way, and it just it's a different thought process today than what it was, um, and probably what it's glamorized to be online. Like my life is not glamorous at all. Um, usually I'm in my workout clothes or my pajamas, no makeup. Um, sometimes I don't take a shower until 11 o'clock at night because I'm too busy doing client work. So it's not what my Instagram feed pictures always portray or look at. And I try to be as authentic as possible. And I, I talk about it a lot, but you will never see overly curated photos on my Instagram feed because it's just not who I am or what I preach um, as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. There's, there is a certain level of reality that is being an entrepreneur. And when we both got on here today, it's, it's nobody can see us, but I have big bags under my eyes and we don't have makeup on. (laughs) Yeah.
1: My hair is like pulled back in a bun and I'm still drinking my second cup of
0: coffee. Exactly. It's funny, but it's real life. And, and it's, it's awesome that we can do that authentically when we get together to record Mm -hmm. podcasts. I love that about it. Yeah. I agree. So, okay, before I want to jump in, I want to ask you two quick questions. And one is, um, is there one big mistake you made when you were moving into the life of an entrepreneur? And then the other one is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is thinking about moving from corporate security, but is very unhappy into following their passion and becoming an entrepreneur.
1: Sure. Um, So one of the things that I think I did wrong in the very beginning was I felt that I needed to join every local organization here in South Florida and go to every networking event possible or say yes to every networking opportunity or every speaking opportunity. Um, I was very, very determined to get my name out there. So I, I want to call myself a doormat but it's kind of like if you're a lawyer and you're starting your own firm, you tend to take on whatever cases that are coming to you because you don't know where your next client may come from. And so I felt like I needed to have my hand in every pot and go to very many events. And it really spread me thin because business was starting to pick up. And I remember people saying, Like you can't be everywhere at the same time because, you know, to go to these events, you have to get dressed, you have to go and network, and then you come home and it's hard to kind of get back into that mantra of working. So I really stopped going to a lot of networking events. My social life tanked a little bit in the first couple of years. Like I used to go to Sunday brunches with friends and I had a lot more flexibility in the beginning. Um, But I realized that a lot of that was a barrier to my success in my business. And I really had to put my nose to the ground and stop going to events. And you talked about before, like getting negative viewpoints from people. I'll never forget. I went to a networking event once and I introduced myself to a guy and I explained what I did. And at the time my elevator pitch was not as smooth or sophisticated as what it is now. And I remember him making fun of me, like you're a lawyer, you must make really good money. Why would you give up a legal career to go write resumes? Like it was something that he thought was beneath me. And now when you look at the types of clients that I work with and the types of sophisticated professionals that come to me, people earning over $2 million a year for a compensation package, or someone who is the general counsel or chief legal officer, to a Fortune 5 company. I've been retained and approached by Microsoft to write LinkedIn profiles for their global team. I've gone and gotten paid to go speak at law firm retreats and to speak at major conferences with 250 plus attendees. Those are things that do not happen by happenstance. They have to happen because you build a brand and people find you authoritative, credible and trustworthy. And so those are things that would not have happened until a line of success had been drawn for myself and i'm glad that i went to a lot of these networking events because i did build connections with people that i'm still connected to on facebook who dropped my name who have sent me clients but i do not go to a lot of in-person networking events anymore because of time constraints and i have to really think about what's my roi you know because if i lose three to four hours of work time, what am I gaining from it? So I say yes to events, but I also say no to a lot of events. Um, It just really depends on where I think it fits into my schedule and where I can actually, I don't want to say monetize it, but where it's going to benefit me in the long run because losing three to four hours of time as a solo person in a one-person business, that's a lot of client work that can be done in that time. And that's one of the hardest parts of being a solo business owner, of course, is someone's not running your stuff for you or helping you out. Your time is very limited.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then what is one piece of advice that you would give to kind of piggyback onto that, I guess?
1: Uh, when you say one piece of advice for someone that's just starting out in a business?
0: Yeah. Someone that is is going to do like what you and I did you know, they're in a career, they have security and they decide to follow their passion and do something different.
1: I would say find like a board of directors or an advisory board that becomes more like a sounding board. So you have a little bit more direction in what you want to do. Um, I did not really have a mentor per se when I left the practice of law, I, everything for me was figuring out trial and error. And I think it was a little bit easier because having the legal background, writing my website content was easy, writing a client services agreement, super easy for me, writing my terms of service, easy for me, but it's not easy for the average person. So either maybe consider getting a business coach or someone who's a colleague that can, you can really sit down and have brainstorming sessions with one of the most valuable groups that I had ever joined was, it was in South Florida. It was called Renegade Entrepreneurs. And it was run by a guy named Andrew Cass. And I'm still connected to him on Facebook. Great guy. But one of the things that I learned from that group was how to do sales and marketing and how to really position yourself as an expert. And he used to call me the implementer. He said, I've never had anyone attend my group events who literally implemented everything everything that i told you to do you implemented for your business and i feel like for me that was super instrumental so if you can find an entrepreneur group that meets once a month and you can learn from strategies things like that because nothing in business is perfect a lot of it is trial and error it's realizing like if i made a mistake with a client i take ownership of it and i learn from it and i improve my process for the next time and the other thing too that i think is super important is being open to criticism and feedback from your clients from other people who see your stuff because it really if you make one mistake on social media, you make one mistake with a client, it could really impact you. Um, and so I think that's important as well.
0: Oh gosh, those are great tips. Now, because you are a LinkedIn expert, I, can you give us just in like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute, like what, what are the key things to think about with a LinkedIn profile?
1: So a LinkedIn profile for your content is based on SEO, search engine optimization. So you have to think about keywords that a recruiter or potential person would be connecting with you for or looking for. Um, One of the biggest areas of focus for someone in constructing their LinkedIn profile is their headline and their summary. So if you're going to focus on specific areas, don't necessarily focus on the details of your experience because someone can ask for your resume. I recommend never attaching your resume to your LinkedIn profile or dumping your resume into your LinkedIn profile. In fact, I have a post that is over 50,000 views right now that I wrote a couple of weeks ago It went viral, and it's about why you should not attach your resume to your LinkedIn profile. A lot of people don't that. think about that. They just dump it because they think LinkedIn is my online resume. But if your resume is actually not search engine optimized, then you're not going to get the hits on your profile.
0: Oh, gosh, that's a great Great recommendation. I lo- I saw your article actually. I I read that. It was impressive. Thank you. Um, okay, so now for some fun stuff before we wrap up, do you have a book recommendation for our listeners?
1: So, candidly, I used to read a lot more um, than I do, and I. Really don't read a lot of books. I listen to podcasts. I read a lot of blogs and things online, but there is the book and it's escaping my mind. It's by um Jen Sin- Sincero. Sincero. Uh huh, And it's um how to be a badass or you are a badass. You are a badass, um, yeah. I fibbed yeah. on that. It's, yeah. That was a good book. And then she has another one that I've been wanting to read called, I think you're a badass and making money. Uh-huh. That's her um, second and one. And so that's something, you know, I like her style cuz I find her to be super authentic. Mm-hmm. Um and then of course I recently read Gary Vaynerchuk's book that he promotes a lot. Um and I've seen him speak and I follow all his content. So a lot of my time is really spent like reading articles that are industry specific and listening to podcasts or watching or in the background listening to a YouTube presentation on something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really read pleasure read as much as I used to, maybe because I'm looking at a computer and reading and writing all day that I'm exhausted by the end of night. Sometimes I enjoy the audio aspects of it.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. Do you have a favorite quote?
1: I do. Um, and one of those quotes is actually Um, by Confucius. And it's, it's something that my dad has always said to me. And it's, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And it really is true. I felt that work was so stressful as a lawyer, but even though my work is stressful, it's a different type of stress, but I really, truly love what I do day in and day out. I actually really enjoy the process of writing a resume, writing someone's LinkedIn profile, writing their executive bio, doing all of that fun stuff. And even in my social media posts, you can tell that I actually take time to write my content for my captions. I try to do a lot of storytelling and really connect with my followers on social media. That's super important to me.
0: Yeah. And you do a really good job of it. Thank you. So, okay. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee, 100% all the way. I'm on my second cup right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And dog or cat?
1: dog. I, I'm, I'm a huge dog lover. I love animals in general. They, my friends call me the animal whisperer. Um, they're, they always gravitate towards me, but I have a 15 year, almost 15 year old Shih Riley that I adopted when he was one and a half. And, um, he's the love of my life.
0: Oh, I love that. And do you have a guilty pleasure?
1: I do. Um, I'm. I'm a little bit addicted to shopping on Amazon, just because it's so easy, and I find myself buying stuff that I, I need, of course. But at the same time, it's so much easier just to hit Add to Cart on on your phone, especially and <laughs> while you're sitting there and maybe relaxing, watching TV. And and my other guilty pleasure is I love shows like The Bachelor, and I watch Siesta Key. Don't ask me why. I'm the most intellectual person. But those are the two shows that I watch <laughs> on TV.
0: That is so funny. <laughs> they're an escape. Like you they're have to escape. get out of the, real. yeah, they're I love escape. that.
1: And um, I great. follow uh, one of these influencers online, Girl with No Job. Um, and she has a podcast called The Morning Toast. And I'm a toaster if anyone else is, you know, listening to our interview and they're a toaster. Um, I love her and I love her content. And I stay up to date on all of the reality show trends because I'm in that group.
0: Oh, that's funny. I'm going to have to join that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we have to wrap up. This has been so great though. It's been so fun to learn more about you. Where can our listeners find you?
1: Sure. So all of my social media handles are the writing guru and my website is writingguru.net N-E-T.
0: That's awesome. So everyone reach out to Wendy, connect with her. She's a wealth of information out there online. And especially um, when it comes to LinkedIn and what you need to do with LinkedIn, she posts great content on LinkedIn. So thank you, Wendy, for being here.
1: Oh, thank you, Robin. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm super excited, uh, you know, to listen to this episode after it's done recording and also to listen to subsequent episodes of your future guests. Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. Ratings and reviews are what give life to podcasts and help others find us. And before you go, have we connected on Instagram yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Find me at the Robin Graham. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag me in your stories so that I can find you too. You can also find me on Facebook at Robin Graham Photography and on LinkedIn as Robin Graham. Please spread the word about the Second Phase podcast. And until next time, remember to smile.